0: You know, we met with a lot of uh, families and other um, individuals like us where, you know, their kid may have Down syndrome or any other diagnosis, actually. It doesn't necessarily have to be autism, but their story was very similar with ours in terms of just isolation and exclusion. And so that really, you know, all of these really led to Culture City where, the mission behind Culture City is one of inclusion. How do we equip our society? How do we bring that level of awareness to our community that there's all these kids and adults and individuals that exist amongst us, but they don't come out because of all their bears. And beyond that level of awareness, how can we help them? Mm -hmm. How can we help our community to include these uh, individuals?
1: I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm excited to sit down with Dr. Michelle Kong, professor of pediatrics at University of Alabama at Birmingham and co-founder of Culture City. My mom was always my best friend. When she was battling colon cancer in her late 50s, My world was flipped upside down, and I didn't know how to process all of my feelings. The fear, the anger, the sadness, the pure desire to be with her every moment, and the hope that she would conquer this vicious disease. Most of her treatments were only three miles from where I worked, but it would have taken me like an hour and a half to get there on the bus and then the train. So I started running to meet her at the hospital. What started out of necessity quickly became a way to handle all the stress and worry I was carrying around. So when Michelle shared her own journey to running, I could feel her story in my bones or more precisely in my own feet. Michelle's son was diagnosed with autism at the age of four. Suddenly she and her family stopped getting invited over to friends' houses for dinner, and were asked to leave restaurants and shows. Michelle and her family were rocked by the social isolation and the doors that were getting closed to them. Though Michelle didn't previously consider herself a runner, she started running daily to take care of herself and to cope with the challenges she and her family faced. And then she decided to tackle the societal issues impacting her family by founding Culture City. Culture City is a nonprofit, which creates sensory accessibility and full inclusion for those with invisible disabilities. Thank you so much for joining me today on Work Like a Mother. I'm really excited to talk with you.
0: Thank you, I, uh, it's my honor to be here and I'm happy to be spending the next uh, 30 minutes or so with you.
1: I thought we would start with hearing about your journey
0: to become a parent. Well, um, you know, I uh, so so we so I'm a critical care doctor and my husband is an ER doc. And our profession is pretty intense. Um, But I think we both love the idea of having a child and uh, we we actually with us, just because of how our uh, med school uh, training uh, was. We were a couple years apart, and so we actually lived apart uh, for a couple years, even after we got engaged and married. So it was sort of a long distance um, uh, relationship, and so we didn't have a our first son Abram until uh, many years into it. And so we did have you know a good period of time where it was just the two of us, uh, but um, having Abram was something that just felt very natural, and we wanted to build a family, and so now we have two boys. We have Abram, who is, oh gosh, he is 13, and then Judah, who is 11. I have to think about it. Yeah, 11, and so it's it's been amazing. Uh, we've loved having the two boys. Um, I uh, When I was younger, I always had this image in my mind of like having four boys I don't know why but I always thought like I would have four boys and that would be so cool but we just have two which is perfect 50
1: (laughs) percent. that's really funny I also have two boys and I I had this sense and this feeling that when we had kids that I would have boys as well I don't know I I think it was just like my dad and I are very close and uh you know he he gives me we have a very you know, a wonderful relationship where, but there's a lot of like playfulness and almost like, you know, um, teasing one another. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to have two boys who are going to be like him and he's going to be riling them up, I'm sure, to to, to, teach them all of the buttons to push
0: and and drive me wild. Yes, Yes. well, I love my boy. So just as I'm sure you do, clearly.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. And you have a teenager now.
0: Oh god, yes. He reminds me. He's like, I'm a tween. I'm like, you're what? A tween? What is that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's been great. It's been great.
1: And tell me a little bit more. I I can imagine, um, although I can only imagine. Tell me a little bit more about how intense your you know work schedule is, especially with your with your husband as well, with both of you being doctors, and how have you juggled your careers and parenting and and how do you make that all
0: work I think for me I uh, you know I have to really prioritize that number one uh, because of the nature of my work and the intensity of the the work when I'm in the ICU I'm in the ICU like that is my entire focus it's my primary responsibility I cannot be, sidetrack or distract or be thinking about anything else. And me and Julian always joke and say, well, if I'm in a unit and if the house is burning down, well, the house is burning down. Somebody else better be handling it because I can't handle it. And so it's it's pretty intense in that way. Um, and, and so I've been very intentional in that. Um, even as the kids grew older and even as we did our schedule to know that, okay, when I'm doing my ICU work, this is a block of time where I'm just not available, Mm -hmm. but it's okay because they know that when I'm off the ICU and let's say I'm spending time with them, then I make sure that they are my primary focus and my only focus. And so I try to be very deliberate and thoughtful about not being distracted when I spend time with them, where This is their time. So I'm not, you know, trying to multitask and do other things. And so I try to uh, be very intentional that way. But at the same time, I think just with the nature of what we do and just with the boys and uh, with Abram having autism, we're also very uh flexible in how we do things mm-hmm. and we always kind of think of it like we're just going with the flow we're just going with the flow right you know sometimes this doesn't happen but that's okay we're going to do it this way we're going to do it in a different fashion so that everyone's needs are still met we're also very good about uh with with the both of us you know thinking through like our schedules and so we make sure that when I'm on, he's not on. When he's on, I'm not on. Uh, we try not to travel together at the same time. So we're always making sure that one of us is available for, for the kids.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Wow, it sounds like a real puzzle to put all yeah. the pieces together. And then on top of this work, you also founded Culture City. Can you share a little bit about what led you to starting Culture City?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think, you know, in some way it goes back to your first question about being a parent, um, because the journey for Culture City started with us being, as you know, parents of Abram. So he was our uh, firstborn. And when we had him, you know, he was our, um, he was he was he was happy. He met all his milestones. Uh, you know, we were like the three amigos. We did everything together and um, <clears throat> we were a really close family. Uh, unit. But then when he was about two years of age, uh, he started having a period of regression where he suddenly stopped talking. um, He stopped making eye contact. He stopped wanting to play and smile. And he was a a completely different child. And so we uh, journeyed with him in trying to figure out what was going on and how to best help him. And ultimately, um, he was diagnosed with autism. And In our journey with him, what we realized was that functionally as a family, having um, autism as a diagnosis and all the challenges that came with it really excluded us and excluded him from being uh, a participant in Mm -hmm. our community. It was one that was very interesting, I think, because I don't think we realized it when we were in the moment, you know, because, for instance... You know, like going out for him was really hard, right? Uh, Because, you know, he doesn't communicate verbally. And so he would make certain sounds, he would make certain movements. And, you know, as he grew older, people who didn't know what was going on would kind of give him the stare and the look. And we always felt it, right? So we never felt welcome. Uh, We've been kicked out from restaurants. I mean, we've been kicked out from so many places that, uh, you know, there's a whole story, uh, diary book of those things, right? Uh, But, but, so in the end you know because you know sounds were really uh over you know, loud and painful for him and you know bright lights you know just crowds and things like that but without realizing we we became isolated right because we then said you know it's so hard we just stopped going out we stopped going for um you know um games and things like that well-intending friends would initially call and then they would try to give a space and then they stopped calling and then we stopped, you know, and in the end it was like, wow. we And we didn't realize it until um, actually Judah uh, was born and, as, and Judah was very precocious. So he's our second one. When he was uh, like a toddler, he was like, why don't we go to the zoo at the beginning at the zoo, which was like a Halloween event um, at uh, our local zoo. And we were like, huh, that's interesting. Why don't we go? Then we like thought about it. I'm like, wow, okay, this is why we don't go. And then, uh, and then from there, you know, we met with a lot of uh, families and other um, individuals like us where, you know, their kid may have down syndrome or any other diagnosis actually, it doesn't necessarily have to be autism, but their story was very similar with ours in terms of this isolation and exclusion. And so that really, you know, all of these really led to culture city where, the mission behind Culture City is one of inclusion. How do we equip our society? How do we bring that level of awareness to our community that there's all these kids and adults and individuals that exist amongst us, but they don't come out because of all their barriers. And beyond that level of awareness, how can we help them? Mm -hmm. How can we help our community to include these um, individuals? And so, you know, it really started as our journey as parents and you know, thinking about Abram and Judah and like, wow, our world is not suited for them uh, or, you know, for Abram um, and how we can change that.
1: Can you, I, I in something I read, it was, you were talking about how it's not enough for just awareness, right? Like many people can be aware yeah. of some of the challenges, but- yeah it's about acceptance and it's about taking action. Can you talk about how we as individuals in society can move towards a place of acceptance and what are things that institutions can do? What are things that as individuals we could do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think awareness is definitely the first key. That's the foundation of it, right? Because unless you know and unless you see, you don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's going to be definitely the first piece where, so we are very uh, intentional with like, you know, pushing out that mission and making sure people know, but then at the same time, hand in hand with it, I think once you know, then you need to think about what the next step is. So like for instance, you know, with what we do with Culture City, we provide the front-facing uh venues in you know museums zoos, schools and things like that with not just the foundational knowledge but we provide them with tools right and so tools are could be as simple as thinking about what are the strategies in communicating with this individual. So it's not just, so for instance, you see a child who is having a difficult time, for instance. So that's awareness. You know, okay, well, maybe he's having a difficult time, not because he's ill-mannered or he's ill-disciplined, but maybe it's because he has autism. So now you know, right? And so with that, that's the first key. So then there's no judgment, right? You're not going to give them the, the look or like the, the body language that says, you know what? I think you're a naughty kid. I don't like you. You know, you know what I mean. So that was the first step. So now you're aware. So you don't judge them. But then the the actual action could be that you know how to help them. So then you could be using communication strategies where it's one where you talk to them in a way that is calming to them. You know, use language as simple and direct. Or perhaps, um, like with what we do, at Culture City, they have certain tools like that headphones, So you can offer them the noise canceling headphone. You can have fidget tools uh, and things like that. So I think awareness is definitely the first key. But after that, you have to say, okay, we got to take the next step, which is how do we then take that into action that actually changes the way our community is, and so. You know that's a focus of what we do, uh, and we're very intentional in that we want the burden, in some ways, to fall on the community, not on the family, right? Because the families are struggling day in and day out. They they are in the trenches. Uh, it is hard for them to go out. They sometimes don't want to go out anymore because it's too much. And so we want it to be where the community then is active. The community then is motivated and activated to be the one to say, you know what, hey. I can learn about you. I know why you're doing this. And I can also know how to communicate with you. And I also have the tools to help you should you come to my venue or my concert or, you know, whatever that setting uh, might be. So we really want to put the the burden on the community rather than the family, uh, because I think that's the only way we can have that sort of culture shift Mm -hmm. so that it is truly inclusion for all
1: yeah it it makes me think about how I've noticed now and and after learning really about culture city and and starting to look in our own community here is very um uplifting I think in some sense to see the organizations that are taking action right like there are a few smaller museums that are really you know have carved out time. Um, And so that the museum is more empty so that it's only for, you know, children who have, you know, sensory overload um, and making it a, you know, sensory friendly environment, things like that. And I've, I've started to page into that and see how things are changing. It strikes me too, that I think, something we could do as individuals is to demand more of that, right? Like the burden that you're saying shouldn't fall just on the families who are living every day with this, but that it's on all of us as a community to request that change. And for the places that aren't making those, you know, accommodations to say we need to make those accommodations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you know, when we first, um, was trying to figure out what the gaps were and how we can best, you know, sort of tackle this problem. We realized this, as you alluded to, where there are uh, places that are starting to have recognition of the problem, and so they would have specific days and events that's targeted for whether it's a, you know, autism night or a PTSD night or or what ha- with you. But what we realized though is that these events, while they're good, they're very limited, right? Because if you think about it, if you have an event once every month that's only 12 times a year that the child can go to the museum or to the zoo or to the concert, whatever it may be. And we realize that, wow, well, that is good. It is really such a minuscule part yeah. of their life when you put it that way. And in some ways it also excludes them because then that night is only for them. Mm-hmm. So only all the individuals with the same challenges are there. They're really not part of, you know, like the rest of, the community, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so that's why when uh, we um, work, did the develop the sensory initiative with Culture City, we wanted it one where it has to be one where, let's say we pick the museum as an example. Uh, we, we want it to be where, you know, 50 to 80% of the staff, because it has to be a critical mass that knows about this right you can't just have trained one person because if the person's on vacation then well oh, nobody knows what's going on um it has to be 50 to 80% of the at the staff at the uh that location is trained and training means they know what it is what to look for how to engage what tools to use and so forth and that the uh tools are always there so that and the intent is that then the family if they want to go on a monday hey cool they can go on the monday they want to go on thursday mm-hmm. hey cool they go go on the thursday because the the people People are aware of the needs and the resources are there all the time now certainly for those who are super sensitive then we tell them okay this is when the museum's a little bit just as you said right this is when it's a little bit quieter so don't come between if you can if you come that's cool we have the headphones for you we want you here we love for you to be here come but if you want to come when it's a little bit quieter, these may be some of the preferred time, right? So then that way, it's, it's a situation where it truly is whenever the family wants to come, they can come. Mm. And I think that's the beauty of it. You know, that's when, and that's how we want it. So that um, it's, you know, that to us, that's true inclusion.
1: Yeah. What a beautiful perspective. I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're so right, both from the, family's perspective of your schedule, you know, your schedule is, your schedule personally has a lot going on, a lot of different moving pieces. I mean, I know I write things down like, oh, this event is happening, but you're running late that morning or something happens and then you've missed that window and what a terrible experience to not have those opportunities then available for members of the community so I love hearing your vision for how to bring inclusivity every day not just on special days yes you have so many balls that you are juggling how do you make time for yourself how do you take care of yourself so that you can take care of so many other people
0: you know that's a hard one, um, and sometimes I feel miserably at doing it. Um, but I think it goes back to just always having to be very deliberate and um, about carving time. Because I find that for me, if I don't, if I don't, if I'm not deliberate about it, and I don't make it a priority, my life just takes over. I mean, there's if, if I don't schedule something and it's not on my calendar. 30 other things will fill up that spot in two seconds, right? Um, and so for me, the way I make it work is, um, <clears throat> so I run and it's, uh, it's also interesting in my running journey in the sense that, you know, I've always been an active person, but I never do any specific sports per se. Mm-hmm. But this was right after Abram was uh, diagnosed um, and he was going through just a really difficult time We were both not sleeping because he was not sleeping. He didn't sleep through the night until he was like six or seven. I mean, he literally would wake up um, in the middle of the night every single night and would not be able to fall back asleep and would be, um, and it was a very difficult phase of our life. And so I was super tired. Lots of things were going on at work. You know, I take care of really sick kids and it felt like my whole world was just like crashing down. And it's just uh, like the weight of that moment was just so heavy. Um, I had a, and, and that day I just, you know, I just, I just left the house. I put on my shoes. It wasn't even a pair of running shoes. It was just some sneakers that I had. I went to the trail that was close to a house and I was, as I just started running and as I was running, it was something about doing a physical activity with my body moving and, um, I'm exerting myself and all that, and the quietness, cause it was like before dawn, and, and the quietness of the moment uh, amongst the trees and the birds and I was just like bawling like I was I was this it was like a dam had just broken mm-hmm. um to make to make things worse I remember towards the end of it I like trip and fell and so now I'm bleeding from my leg and then one person an early jogger saw me and she's like are you okay? Cause I was r- crying and bleeding and running. I'm like, I'm fine. Just, and, then, and then that was the start of it. Um, I found a lot of uh, reprieve, I think, in, um, in just pounding the trails, being by myself, nobody's around me and just, you know, being able to collect my thoughts and just think about everything as a, as a whole. Um, so I started running in 2015 and, um, I, uh, I've never stopped since then. Last year, I wasn't able to run as much cause I had a, I had a stroke actually. And so I, uh, ended up having to swim <laughs> because I couldn't run. Um, and, uh, so I picked up swimming, but that's all to say that, um, I think you just have to make those times. So for me, I always do it before the kids wake up. Uh, so when I come home, they're not even awake yet. They even know that I've been gone. So I always do it like early in the morning or uh, late at night. And sometimes I steal time, you know, I might have like 20 minutes. And so I sort of like, I steal that time, so to speak, where I say, okay, this is my time. I'm going to go for a walking meeting or something like that, <laughs> you know, but, but otherwise it's impossible.
1: Isn't it amazing how, as a parent, you see, you know, these pockets of time, like twenty minutes, right, as a real gift or an opportunity? Yes. Oh, yes. Where pre kids, it would have been, you know, at twenty minutes, like that's nothing, right? Yes. I, I think, Oh, yeah. I used to think you have to work out, you know, for if I'm not going to work out for thirty minutes to an hour, like it's not worth it. And now it's every every. Every oh yeah! Time you can do anything. Yeah, um, yeah. For ten
0: minutes. Yeah, um, ten minutes. Oh, I to- absolutely before you are like no, I need an hour and a half. No, now it's like five minutes. Let's go. We got right. this. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Your story yeah. of and and your inspiration of what brought you to running really resonates with me. I am also a runner, although not as uh, accomplished as you, because I know oh. you run ultra marathon, mm, right?
0: Yeah. I did a hundred miler uh, before.
1: I am, you know, my my hat is off to you. That's amazing. Um, But my mother uh, battled colon cancer and Mm. for much of her treatment, I would finish work and I had a very practical, I had to get to the hospital where she was having treatment. Uh, And at the time, the, you know, public transportation couldn't easily get me there and so I thought well maybe I'll just try running and oh
0: wow. yeah
1: and I fell into it and it was yeah. so therapeutic and um, meditative and there's something about just all you need to focus on in that moment is putting one foot in front of the other and and that gives you a little bit of clarity and space and it was such a a life changing moment for me. And, um, I'm, I love hearing your story about how you discovered running and, and got into it as, as well.
0: Yeah. It's actually been super good because, um, as I started running, um, I realized that there are a group of, uh, a whole group of like runners and people who enjoy sports who are extremely, like, amazingly good people, right? Um, and I realized that running can be such a great platform for mm-hmm. also, again, awareness and um, for what we were trying to do and also to raise funds for the programs. And so 2016, um, we, um, I was running a Boston Marathon with a friend, um Tiki Barber and so he and I uh, were running and we both he ran a marathon before and I had to start running and so I was in no shape to run a marathon but then Boston said hey do you want to run we said oh well Boston said do you want to run we say yes we want to run yeah and so we both ran but by mile like 20 something we were both struggling we were like oh my gosh this is like we literally we were like like, oh my gosh, we were like dying. We were like, we were running so good initially. Now we we're like, we were really struggling. But then we started thinking about the families, right? Who we were running for. And so he and I would be like talking about the families and the kids and what it meant to them and what it meant to us. And that really helped us cross the finish line. And when we crossed it, we felt so good because we knew that every step that we took was for someone else. Yeah, you know, we had to put in the work, but we were like, think about that other kid who wants to run but cannot run Mm -hmm. or the family who wants to go to a concert but cannot go to a concert. And us doing this physically for them, while we were like literally dying out there, was worth it because we were not just running for the sake of running. We were running for something bigger than us. And so that was how the whole idea of KC Fit came. And so he and I started Casey Fit in 2016 when we did Boston Marathon. And then ever, ever since then, uh, we've uh, had teams run uh, major marathons for Culture City. And so 20, December uh, no, November of 2016 was our first uh, team that we put together for New York City Marathon. And ever uh, since then, except for COVID year, we've had a team in New York City Marathon uh, in Boston, Big Sur, uh, Chicago and like this year we have 19 runners running um, New York City Marathon uh, for Culture City so you have to uh, you have to come uh, join us uh, whenever you're ready and you want to do it it's super fun it's so amazing so,
1: I would love to come yes, and run yes, on this uh, year okay you have to come run
0: with us next year
1: yes yeah. New York is such a great marathon too yes. it's a wonderful yes. a wonderful, yes. a wonderful yes. course and yeah. so many great spectators. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me, for sharing your your story, and for all the work that you're doing through Culture City, and for sharing your mission with us as well.
0: No, absolutely. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
1: Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about, so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, and stimulation they need to learn and grow. We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com And when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.